Well, I hope that you've already been blessed. And I hope that the cry of my heart and the cry of your heart, the passion of our hearts together, is aligns with and connects with Jesus's. Remember Jesus said, Inasmuch as you have done it unto the, the least of these. How many of y'all knew the people on that show? Anybody? Costa Rican family? You know, yeah. You ruined it. Y'all have already been. They know. But here's the thing. Most of us have never met those people. Some of us never will. And often when we see things like that, the thought goes through our head, what do I have to do with this? What does this have to do with me? And outside of the grace of God, the thought of Jeff Robinson's heart is whatever affects Jeff Robinson. What benefits me? You see, I just feel led to put a word out there. The Lord gave that to me a few minutes ago. If you have money, okay, if you've done well financially, does your will, what will happen to your money after you're gone, does that reflect the Great Commission? Do you have something in your will, the way that you use your money here and now? Does that reflect, will it go to the things that Jesus values? I hadn't prepared to say that. That's not in the notes. But I truly believe with all my heart that regardless of our financial situation, Jeremy and Gina, y'all are exactly right that people can help out in many different ways, financially, prayer-wise, encouragement-wise, support, all of those things. But I just want to, regardless if you make $10,000 a year or you make a quarter million dollars a year, our financial statement should reflect what Jesus says is important. And a big part of that is getting the gospel to every people group on the planet. And if we are one of those people who say, well, I'm going to come to church and hear about Jesus. Let's ask a profound question before we dive into, if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 33. But let's let's ask a question about this, um, especially if you're a church person. Why do you come to church? You ever thought about that? You know, why, why do we go to Bible study on Sunday morning? Why do we come to this worship gathering? Why do we go to Wednesday night? Well, it's to learn about Christ and to be encouraged and to be an encourager to other people. But the sharp end of that stick is us actually being the hands and the feet and the voice of Jesus. Right? So let's let God continue to transform our church. We've had two missions reports. We had one last week with Susan in India. We had one this week with the Clarks in Costa Rica. And I think that's an awesome thing, right? Amen. Let's just give praise to the Lord again. And here's the thing. If you, if you, if you've never been in church, if you've not been in church in a long time, we are super glad you're here. But let me say something to the churched people for just a moment, alright? There can be a situation that if you're not careful, you will slide into if you've been involved in church for any amount of time. And it has to do with this question, what's in it for me? We okay? And here's how that translates into real life. Do I like that sermon? Do I like that song? Did I like the song in the video? Did I like the presentation? Did I, I, I? And who's in control of that world? Me. And we know, especially if we've lived past high school, that there's no, if we've paid attention, there's no way that pursuing things that make us quote-unquote happy will ever be able to satisfy. 
And that's exactly where Jesus brings us in Matthew chapter 5. With this question, this driving question that we're going to address this morning, with what does it take to keep us honest? Notice what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. Jesus says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head. That's a little strange for us today, right? Do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Here's here's the point. Verse 37. Jesus says, let what you say be simply... What? Yes or no? Anything more than this comes from evil. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, addresses all of these hard topics. He addresses us guys with what most of us, if we were honest, struggle with. And that is the issue of looking in lust and heart adultery. Jesus, last week, we looked at verses 31 and 32. Jesus addresses the topic of divorce. And Jesus says from the beginning, it was one man, one woman for life. And then he comes to this issue that some of us may think is a little bit strange. And it has to do with oaths. Now, I don't know about any of you, but I would just take a chance to say that there are some of you that have not said recently, I swear by the footstool of the earth, I will do such and such. I swear by Jerusalem, mom, that I'll finish my homework. Right? I, I swear by, uh, by heaven itself. But we, we don't, we don't do that today. But in Jesus' day, let me give you the background of what he was dealing with. Jesus, number one, if you're following along in your outline with us, this is there. Jesus is not condemning commitment. There are some people who wrongfully use this passage in the Bible and say that, for example, a soldier should never give an oath to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, both foreign and domestic. There are some people that would say that you cannot, on the Bible, if you're obeying it, ever testify in a court of law to tell all of the truth, you know, and then so help me God. That's not what Jesus is getting at. In other words, Jesus is not condemning commitment itself to something that is good and honest and true. But what Jesus is getting at is he's condemning the use of oaths, I swear to this, I give my word to this, and not actually following through. In other words, in other words, Jesus is saying, don't use these things as a way to be dishonest. If you're taking notes, this is not in your notes. It's additional because we can only pack so much on that piece of paper. And some of y'all look at that and be like, we're going to be here till tonight. Well, nobody's, you know, we don't have armed guards at the door with their guns pointed in. So let's just start walking through this. In the Old Testament, we see that God even uses oaths. He says time and time again, as I live, declares the Lord. God binds himself to his word. If you're taking notes, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 11. 
The Bible says, speaking of God, so I swore in my wrath they will not enter my rest. Speaking of the disobedient Israelites who came out of Egypt. Jesus even uses the phrase over and over again, if you have the King James Version, verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you. In other words, Jesus is saying, here's what I'm saying, but I'm telling you truly, truly, it's really true. Now, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, so whatever Jesus speaks, it's truth. Just a way of application. If we claim to follow Jesus Christ, what we speak should be truth. Now, that doesn't mean that you're a moron and you are out in town, you're at Walmart, and you walk up to somebody and you say, you know what, you look like a person that's on that website, people at walmart.com. I think what you're wearing is absolutely horrific. How did your mom let you out of the house? I mean, you don't, you don't do stuff like that. Jesus is not saying you go out and you be unduly offensive. But when you speak... If we are speaking as a follower of Jesus, it should be saturated with nothing but truth. Yes or no. In the Old Testament, you see God even calling people to oaths. When they crossed the Jordan River, he had them build a pile of rocks, basically. And that was what they could look back at and say, this pile of rocks represents when God brought us across this river. He did great things in our life. And I committed right here to follow God. And they could come back to that point if they were walking away from the Lord and say, you know what, that pile of rocks causes me to remember when I committed my life to him. In fact... This is really cool. I know this messes up Charlton Heston fans a little bit. But the movie, The Ten Commandments, in that time, in that world, when they would have a covenant or a peace treaty, as we would call it today, an oath between two parties, they would give one copy to one side and give one copy to the other. And what many biblical scholars think is that not that God used big font or he couldn't write small and he writes five on this one and five on this one, but they were all ten on each tablet and one was for the people to remember this is the Ten Commandments, this is the core of our oath, our commitment, our covenant to God, and one was for God. That kind of changes it a little bit, doesn't it? All throughout the Bible, I mean, even if you're taking notes, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 27, the Apostle Paul says this, quote, I put you under oath before the Lord to have read this letter, speaking of the book or the letter of 1 Thessalonians, to all the brothers. Now, if Jesus is saying you should never commit to anything, then why does the Apostle Paul call the whole church to take an oath? We see in in Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 12 in the Old Testament. This is the explanation that Jesus is, is basing his talk from. It says, you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God, says the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 23, beginning in verse 21, the Bible says, if you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it. Read that again. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. If But if you refrain from vowing, 
you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what has passed from your lips, for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised Him with your mouth. So just a note, in churches all over America, we often have people who come forward at the end of a service to commit their lives to Jesus Christ. But the Bible is very clear that when you commit to follow Jesus Christ, you need to be well aware that you're committing to follow Jesus Christ. It's not something in my first church. I did not explain this good. I was 23 years old. We had some people come and then after talking to them, after they came forward in an invitation, said, I'm here to give my life to Jesus. They said, well, I thought that I did it like that was it. Wouldn't that be kind of weird if that's all that God requires of us? Get a bunch of people together, build a building, put a cross on the top, sing some songs, open the Bible, read from it. And at the end of the service, you just have to walk down from the back of the front. You just walk down, you're like, and then, he, and then it's done. And he doesn't want any more. I mean, is that not insane? If that's all that God wanted, then man, God, what? Oh, really? So how do you know you're a Christ follower? No, no, that's not the way that it works. Jesus says, follow me. So what we do in our invitations is we give people an opportunity to make a public confession and a commitment to Jesus. I mean, when they're saying, you know what, I'm ready to go forward in that invitation because today is my day to begin my walk with Christ. And that should excite some of you that we've seen God move in people's lives at Rocky Mount Baptist Church. Amen. That's what it's all about. Lives that are being changed. But wherever you are close to that line, the Bible does tell you to count the cost. Let me give you another text. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 16. The Bible says, He who takes an oath in the land shall swear by the God of truth. That means at the end of the day, we know that God knows hearts, minds, souls. He knows everything. So when we make a commitment to another person, marriage in a sense is an oath, right? It's a covenant. It's a commitment between two people, God and the community. It is a solemn, serious, real thing. But what Jesus was dealing with in his day is that Pharisees were teaching the people, okay, if you want to make a deal... If you want to give your word, but not actually make that vow and not actually go through uh, all of what we just described about, you know, God judging you and you breaking a vow. Here's what you do. You don't swear by God. You swear by Jerusalem. So it's like this in this business deal. You're like, man, I think this business deal may be good for me. But if it doesn't, if I as a Jew, if I swear by God. Then, and I break out of the deal, then bad things will happen. I'm like calling a curse on myself. But as I say, by Jerusalem, by the earth, I'll do it. Then I'll be able to get away from it. In other words, what Jesus is exposing here, he's saying, don't try to use the things of God to be a crook and rip people off. We on the same page with that? He's saying, don't do that. Be honest. And there's a statement I read in a commentary. Let me give it to you. It says, quote, the fact that oaths were used at all emphasizes the wickedness of man's heart. I mean, even with a cell phone contract. You ever tried to read one of those things? 
Be honest, right? That, you know, you're on the internet and you're just trying to go, I mean, do something. It's like, read this. And you're like, read it for a month. Agree. We may have just signed away our whole life, but it's, we have those contracts. We have contracts to keep people honest. And if you've done business at all, man, you know that you need a good lawyer. Something like, I know that's true, but should I say amen? Right? To protect yourself, protect your business, because there's some people to take advantage. That, I mean, even the concept of keys that, that you have to take out of your vehicle and put in your pocket or your purse, like my mom. Once it goes in the purse, it's going to be 20 minutes before she can find it. Right? I mean, she's not a concealed permit holder, but I'm like, Mom, as much as your purse weighs, if you're trying to find your keys and somebody tries to mess with, mess with you, just swing it around and you'll take their head off. I don't know where that came from, but it's out there now. So Jesus is getting at the point, he's saying, with your speech, don't try to be in the title of our message today. Let your speech not be slick. Let your speech be honest. I'm going to do it. Presidential elections. I'm going to make all of you mad. Both sides and in the middle. Mitt Romney videotapes from the 1990s. He is hardcore for abortion. 2012, he's not. Hello. That's called slick speech. President Obama, speaking at the National Prayer Breakfast, spoke about life and the unborn. Are you kidding me? I mean, are we serious that you're going to stand up and you're going to tell me that you're that you're for life and for liberty and freedom while advocating partial birth abortion where the the head of the the child is still inside the mom and you're okay with an instrument being inserted and the life of the child being taken and, and I'm supposed to trust you? No, sir. Absolutely not. That's called slick speech. So now that nobody will come back next week, the Republicans and the Democrats, we may have about five libertarians here. But here's the thing. Jesus is saying in this culture, don't use things related to God to try to get people to trust you so that you can screw them over in business. And not only that, Jesus is saying you have to be careful about getting into this little sin, big sin. Because here's what the Pharisees taught. They taught that if you swore by Jerusalem, if you swore by the earth, if you swore by heaven itself, then if you broke your word, it would be a little sin. But if you swore an oath to God and you backed out, it would be a big sin. Listen, sin is sin. And notice how brilliant Jesus is. Look at how he breaks this down. He says in verse 34, But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven. Why? Because it's the throne of God. I mean, it's like you guys are crazy. Are you saying, so God, just because you don't say the word God, that he doesn't know that you're trying to be dishonest? And notice he goes a step further in verse 35. Or by the earth, for it is his footstool, meaning the earth is where God works out his will, even through bad things, hello, that happen in our life. And he he goes even further, or by Jerusalem, for it is a city of the great king. What he's saying is that if you parse words and your speech in business and in family and in friendships is laced with slickness, God sees that. 
There is no God saying, well, they didn't use my name and they totally ripped off that person. They didn't use my name, but they totally stole. They didn't use my name, but they used words to cut down someone so that everybody in the community now believes something that is false about this person because this person used gossip and slander. But because they didn't use my name, it's no big deal. Absolutely not. God is holy. And in our culture, we do things like when we were little kids, right? Little kids, it's the uh, pinky swear. Remember that? When I was, this is not something that our parents taught us. This is just for us being depraved, sinful little kids. You know, something like brother coming in and say, well, did you eat all the Snickers? And say, uh, yeah, they're all gone. Really? Yeah, they're all gone. Do you promise? And it was just like, as a kid, you can't say, I promise, unless you, some of y'all know this well. I'm not giving you the bird. This is a cross figure. You put it behind your back and you say, I have the cross figures. I can tell you, I promise. But if I, if I, what about your shoelaces? Your shoelaces are crossed. Some of y'all, this is bringing you a way back. You don't even remember you used to do that. But you used to dominate. You used to dominate during playtime and be able to rip all the other kids off. I mean, we see all of this stuff, you know, or do you really promise? Okay, fingers, hands in front, toes are not crossed. Your your shoes are undone. Well, do you cross your heart and hope to die? I remember I was like fifth and sixth grade. I was like, did I just, I cross my heart and I hope to die. I don't. What does that even mean? That's just like morbid, you know, and you're having this existential crisis as a 12-year-old. Let me give you a verse. Proverbs 14, 17. The Bible says a quick-tempered man acts foolishly and a crafty man, a slick man, or a man of evil desires is hated. And notice what Jesus says here. He says, speaks about in verse 33, you shall perform unto the Lord your oaths. This word, you actually have a Greek word in your outline. Isn't that not cool? I know y'all are leaving here encouraged just because of that. But you've got this word in there and it speaks of giving fruit to God, just like a tree would bear fruit. And what Jesus is saying is give God what he's worthy of having in your life. What is he worthy of in having in my life? What is, Je- what, what is Jesus worthy of Jeff giving? Well, in whose image are we made? We're made in his image. So that's why the Bible says to love him with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. And notice that Jesus, once again, breaks from Old Testament tradition in terms of the Pharisees where he says, but I say to you, verse 34, it's almost like when somebody comes into a meeting and they say, we know that the law says... But I say to you, we know that the law says 65 on this highway is the limit. But I say unto you, thou shalt go 85 only unless you're in Texas or Arizona. And people would look at somebody like that and they would say, who do you think you are? This is what the law says. And somebody says, I know that's what the law says, but listen to me. What I say, here's what Jesus is doing. He's letting everyone know that he is the one that the law points to. The Old Testament wasn't given so that we could get this rule list and justify ourselves by being a quote unquote good Christian. Please throw that out of your vocabulary. Put it in the sink, turn on the garbage disposal, and flush it with hot water. A good Christian is an oxymoron. A Christian is someone who has realized they can never be good. 
right? Someone who has admitted that they are bad, that they are sinful, and that only Jesus is good. So a Christian is simply someone who has been broken by their own sin, that the grace of God has come and stitched and put back together for his glory and their joy. And then Jesus goes to this question of what does it take to keep us honest? And finally, look at verse 37. He says, let what you say simply be yes and no for anything more than this comes from evil. This is in your notes. Jesus is saying that slick speech comes from hell. Let me give you a verse. John 8, 44 and 45. Jesus says you are of your father, the devil. That's a great way to build a church, right? He says, you're over your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. Desires he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character or his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus is saying here that an, a desire to use speech to deceive someone, whether it's in a legal setting or whether it's in a relational setting, comes from the father of lies. But yet Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life. You say, Jeff, what do we do with this? How do we unpack this? The application is very simple, that joy is found in sacrifice-intensive commitment and not trying to scoop off the top of other people's labors. It means that when you are put in a situation to where telling the truth may cost, tell the truth. Because you and I live in the midst of a dark world. We live in the midst of a culture that you have to watch your back, sometimes even physically, especially financially, especially business-wise. And Jesus is saying, if a person follows me, they have been, they have been saved from hell, and so they should be able, through my power, to tell the truth. And some of us think, okay, well, if I become a Christ follower, would I ever be able to follow through with that? Because I don't think that I would be able to live the right life. That means that you're a good candidate for getting saved. The people that will not get saved here today are people who think I'm not that bad. I just, I just need to start coming back to church. That's what I need in my life, Jeff. I just need a little Jesus once in a while. I just need to start doing... No, no, no. That's not the point. The point is to realize we can never do. We look at Jesus and it is done. And so whether you and I have taken the easy way out, times of our lives, we've told, we say it in our our culture, half-truths, fibs, exaggerations, white lies. We okay? Those types of things should come to the place to say, you know what, God, I'm willing to commit no matter the cost. And you realize, you and I both know this, whether we say that we do or not, that we never really just slide into commitment, do we? I mean, you never just wake up. I mean, if you do, you definitely had one way too many and you're married, right? So, thank you. One person got that. I mean, you don't, you don't just wake up one day and, and you're, and you're married, like who, you know, who, what, what? And you just have this, this mind lapse, like yesterday I was cutting my grass and today I'm married with five kids. How did that happen? You, you don't just, just slide into things that require commitment, but the things that are most valuable and most full of joy in this life is not the easy things. It's doing the hard stuff. And the hardest thing that you and I will ever do, most of us has come to that place to realize that we can never earn our salvation and give everything that we are to Jesus Christ.
I just want to give this final word of encouragement. That in a dark culture to where people make excuses for not telling the truth, for being shady and being slick, your witness for Christ, even with the things that people think are little, something small, it's just a wrench from the shop, okay? It's just checking out five minutes early. It's just, I mean, I did more last week. It's just falsifying one report. It's just telling somebody something that's small. When the world sees a follower of Jesus Christ willing to tell the truth when it costs them, that's what truly makes the difference. And people will see that and say, man, everybody else is is cutting corners. Everybody else is doing that. Why not? And at that point, we can win or lose. If we don't point it to Jesus, they'll just think that we're awesome. But what we want to say is, I follow Jesus, and I want to do everything in my life to point to him. It's not moralism. It's just commitment to Jesus Christ, the master. You see, Jeff, I don't know if I could commit to stuff like this. It seems so high and out of reach. It almost seems like I would be prideful if I said, well, today is my day to commit to Jesus Christ, and I'm going to follow through. I'm not necessarily going to take an oath or say, you know, I, I swear to God that I'll follow God. I, but, but it just seems almost arrogant for me to be able to say I'm ready to trust Jesus. The Bible tells us in, in James chapter 4, verse 15, we should say, if the Lord wills, put it in his hands. It is not pride for you to commit to Jesus Christ. It is humility. And it is not something that you're trying to put out of reach of yourself to say, I'm ready to trust Jesus. It is simply you putting yourself in the hands of the one who made you and the one who can bind you up from the things that have happened in this life.